Hey there, before we get into the Learning to Live podcast, I'd like to share a little snippet of information that I learned about the construction industry from today's guest, Mr. Steve Barrow. You know, I love the construction industry, uh, working in the field. I, I, I loved it. It was hard work, uh, probably the hardest job I've ever done in my life, but uh, it, was, it was a great job, and it paid very well. You said you were a hot, hot? A hot carrier. Hot carrier. Which is basically labor. So what you do is you, you mix the uh, mortar, stock, the brick or the block, build scaffold, uh, tend uh, the bricklayers, make sure they've got what they need to build the walls. And that, that was a great job because you, even though you weren't running the job, you, you had to have foresight as far as where they were going and what they needed. And I, I think... As far as anything that I've done in my life for training, that was probably the best job that I had because I had to look ahead. It wasn't, I wasn't in the moment because if you're in the moment, you were behind. Uh, so you needed to know what they were doing tomorrow, what they were doing in the next half hour to be ahead of them. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I am sitting here with Mr. Steve Barrow. Mr. Barrow, thank you for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for uh, asking me. I, I feel very honored. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, currently I'm, I'm retired. Previously, I'm uh, a business owner, owned a commercial floor covering company and a marble and granite fabrication shop. Like most high school students, I don't think uh, I, I was not focused. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't have this career path that that I had mapped out or anybody else had mapped out for me. I I just knew that, you know, I wanted to go to college. And coming from a middle-class family, uh, I was actually the first child to go to college in my family. Um, My parents didn't have a lot of money. I was very fortunate to actually go to work for that mason contractor as a side note, that Mason contractor was the construction company from the introduction. And uh, make, at the time, I was making $5.50 an hour, which was huge. Um, and uh, 1974, making $5.50 an hour. And I was able to save enough money to pay for my first year of college. But I loved to ski, and I loved to fish, and I wanted to go to college someplace that I could do both of those. So I, I chose a college based on my hobbies and maybe not uh, a designed education path. So I, I chose Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. So I showed up at Fort Lewis College uh, my freshman year without a place to stay. I had a duffel bag with my clothes, uh, a pair of skis, and my ski boots. And... I showed up and uh, had a great experience. You know, I fished in the fall. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to ski. I couldn't really afford to ski, but they were offering a uh, a work uh, event there where if you would snow pack or foot pack snow for five days, they would give you a season pass at Purgatory. So I thought, well, this is perfect. It's a great way for me to get to be able to ski. And uh, so... Yeah, I worked for five days, got my season pass, and I skied probably 
four to five days a week. I had Tuesdays and Thursdays. I didn't have class, and then, unfortunately, I would skip out of class on Friday and, and, and ski. But even with that said, somehow I was able to maintain my grades decent enough to to stay in school. Uh, obviously, I was not a straight-A student. I was not focused. So I, I spent two years at Fort Lewis uh, doing that, and then I, something just kind of dawned on me that you know, maybe I need to do something with my life. I need to take advantage of this education and get a degree. So I, I always loved uh, being a student, and I had teachers that I respected, and I, so I decided that I wanted to be a teacher. And so I focused my efforts on uh, becoming a, a secondary education teacher in uh, social studies. And so I graduated from UNC. Uh, it, it took me an extra extra semester. I didn't graduate on time, uh, but I was able to transfer and get my degree in secondary education and got my teaching certificate. And again, I got my teaching certificate. I never ever applied for a teaching job. I had been working for the mason contractor uh, basically on all of my uh, time off and my vacations. And for whatever reason, they, they loved me and they gave me an opportunity to come in as an estimator. And uh, so that's kind of the, the the background. It wasn't something that I had foreseen, although uh, life experiences, you know, uh, getting me involved in the construction industry uh, was something that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the challenges. And uh, at that point, I knew that's was really where I wanted to be as far as my career. How did you make that transition from I want to be a teacher to now I'm in construction and I want to make construction a career? Well, it was, uh, I, I'd like to say that it was, like most of the decisions I've made, there was not, not a lot of planning. When I graduated, uh, obviously uh, the first thing that you need to do is start looking for a job. So I, I started to put my resume together. The company that I was working for, Called, called me up, asked me to come in and sit down and talk with them and uh, asked me if I uh, would consider coming in and working for them as an estimator. So it was, wasn't something that I planned, but, uh, you know, I jumped at the chance and it was a great opportunity and I, I, I felt like it was a great opportunity. And so I uh, took the job and that became my career path. What opportunity did you see that you said you jumped at? Well, it, specifically, uh, I, I had a good friend of mine who was a sales rep who had been after me to go into business for myself for uh, a couple years. And one day he called me up and he said, Steve, I've got an opportunity for you. Meet me out at Heather Gardens, which Heather Gardens is a uh, retirement community. And I said, okay. So I, I met him out there at lunch. We met with the administrators. Uh, they had a, a specific project that they wanted to have done. And we talked about the project, about uh, what needed to happen, what products needed to be used, scheduling, all, all that type of stuff. And uh, the meeting went went really well. And uh, we started to walk out of there. Uh, the, the administrator goes, well, Steve, I didn't get the name of your company. <laughs> so Cody Florian and Tile was born at that moment, because that was the only name that I could think of that popped into my mind. And walking out of there, I knew I had a job. I just didn't have a name of a company to do it. So so we started the company uh, based on that meeting uh, that day. 
And I think it was uh, a month later we started that project, and off off we went. Do you think it's possible for people who are aspiring to own their own business, do you think it's possible for them to create their own opportunities, or do you think the opportunities just come into your life and you either recognize it or you don't recognize it? Well, I, th- you know, I think there are are uh, opportunities that you can create. Um, obviously, uh, you can go out and and start a business the other way. You you can have the vision and go out and chase it that way and make it happen. Bring those opportunities to you. But as in life, I think there are so many opportunities presented in front of everybody, and sometimes you've got to weigh those opportunities and. When they're there, if they're right, I think you need to jump on them. And uh, and don't look back. Don't second-guess yourself. So if you're going to do it, you've got to do it with 120% effort. You can't, at that point, you can't say, well, you know, maybe this wasn't the right thing. At that point, it's you've got to go out and make it happen. After you came up with the name Coding Flooring and Tile, how did you grow that business? Well... Uh, obviously, um, because I'd been in the construction industry for years before, I had uh, uh, a great network, and I had uh, developed relationships with end users, contractors, installers, suppliers. So when I decided that I was going to go into business, I uh, relied on those relationships. And some of them, actually, once I opened the doors as Cody Florin and Tile, contacted me and said, hey, you know what, we've done business with you. We want to we do business with you as Cody Florin and Tile. And one of the biggest ones was King Supers Grocery Stores, which was a, a huge, huge client to, to pick up right out, out of the gate. And this was like, I don't know, two or three months after I started Cody Florin and Tile. So, and they started off, they obviously they didn't uh, hand me their big projects, but they said, we want you to handle the service work for us. And I'm like, okay, uh, that'd be great. And uh, so we did uh, all the service work for King Supers grocery stores and developed into going and doing new stores for them, complete new stores, complete remodels, which, which were huge projects at the time. And kind of gave me a, a springing board. But it wasn't only just King Supers. I had uh, relationships with uh, a lot of contractors. That and, and developing those contacts, I think, is key. You know, you, you, need to, you need to be cognizant of those relationships. Of course, at this time, you were small and you wanted to grow bigger. Why do you think that most small businesses fail while yours succeeded? Well, um you know, sometimes I, I think you've got to stay focused on exactly what it is that you're doing. And it doesn't make any difference if it's a million-dollar project or a $250 project. You still you need to focus on the quality. You need to make sure that you're, you're providing uh, the end user with a reasonable price and a, a uh, good quality project when it's said and done. And you've got to do that not only on most of your projects, but you've got to do that on 100% of your projects. And it's, that has got to be, at least I felt like, that was the key. And uh, plus, you know, when you put your name on it, you, you want 
you want that quality and you want to be recognized that uh, you're one of the best and and that the people you're working for appreciate what you did and the quality and and the the reasonable price so uh, i kind of had a theory that uh, we don't want just that job we want the job after that and the job after that and the job after that well they're not going to give you the job after that if you don't do a good job on the first one and that uh, i think that's key to uh, success in business and going along with that you've got to have good people good installers that have the same vision or share the same vision with with you and uh, if you don't you, you you could have the best intentions in the world but if you don't have uh, good quality people that uh, share your vision of what needs to happen, you're not going to be a success. I was very fortunate. I I had uh, and have had some of the best people in the industry that worked for me, and very fortunate that uh, everybody uh, bought into the, my vision of the way business should be done. How do you find those people that share the same vision that also agree that you need 100% quality on every job? I know a lot of small businesses particularly struggle with that. Well, and that that's true, and it's uh, very difficult to come up with, with that. But I, I think once you, you go through a few people and uh, you realize very, very quickly whether or not they share the same vision. And when you find those people that are key to your business, you need to hold on to them and very fortunate to have had, uh, you know, not not a tremendous amount, but uh, four or five people over the years that uh, were key people that uh, shared exactly in those those visions visions that I had, and uh, would go the extra mile to make sure that things happened. And those I call them key employees, and those key employees you need to take care of. I think financially is is one of the things that uh, you need to to take a look at although I don't, i'm not sure exactly how to say this but money can be a demotivator as well um i think sometimes people uh, we all work we all want more money to buy more stuff or to buy the house or whatever but uh, uh it it can become a demotivator as well um i think being sharing the, a, a vision of a company and being being part of a team and being treated and respected and known that uh, you are respected was really key to my success. And, and that's the way that I treated those employees. They all did very well financially, but uh, that was secondary. You know, we enjoyed what we did. Uh, we, we had a great time working. Uh, and we, we did business with people that we enjoyed doing business with, and it was fun. And uh, I think that was really the key to the success for the business. I know many, many cases where the money is, is om- almost a demotivator. And if, you, if, you're, if you're just working for the money, it's, it, I think it's mental or, or there's something else. You're not going to be a great employee. You're not going to really care about the product that you're putting out there, the people uh, the relationships that that you're building that type of stuff if that's all you care about uh it's it's a recipe for disaster i think so and i think it's going through business for all those years i think it's kind of proven itself out but when things are going well and 
uh, you're making money and you're having fun doing what you're doing and you've got a team that is all on the same page, there's nothing better. And uh, to to watch those people, and they become family. You watch, they get married, they have kids, uh, you know, to watch their kids grow up. And, and there's nothing more satisfying as a business owner and to watch the successes that they have and the, the successes that they've had after. There's nothing better. At your peak, how many employees did you have? Well, at the peak uh, of the business, and that was uh, in 2010, we had 44 employees. And, of course, we had the economic downturn in 2008. But because of the way that it, it kind of works in our business, we're always on the tail end of uh, the construction loop. So we didn't really feel we could feel it coming because we couldn't pick up work uh, because a lot of our work is, is down the road, but, uh, we didn't really, uh, feel it until 2010. Our, our peak was at 2009 when we had 44 employees. But at that point we could just, you could just feel, uh, the uh, wheels tightening and, uh, it wasn't as easy to pick up work. So we weren't going to be able to maintain that. So we're going through an economic downturn, and that was a struggle. And it was—it's it, easier to grow a business when things are going well, and uh, you're hiring people and and uh, going through that. When things tighten, and all of a sudden you're having to lay people off and tighten your belt, and it's tough to get work, and you're just lucky to to have those relationships and but even then the people that you're working for are feeling that and uh you know they're doing everything they can to stretch their dollars so uh, there's a lot more competition for the work that was out there and it very very difficult to shrink a business felt very fortunate because we went through that economic downturn which was huge we lost a lot of our competition that went out of business but we survived and and again i think it was the attitude that it doesn't make any difference. We're going to do the right thing. If we're going to stand up, if there's a, an issue, we're going to stand up and take care of it. We don't want just that job. We want the job after that again. So whatever it takes to uh, uh, sell that job and make it right, if there was an issue, we were going to do it. And I think that's one of the reasons that we made it through the economic downturn, came out the other side successfully. So you really believe that empowering your employees are what allows you to grow bigger. So you, as the leader of a business, do not have to be everywhere. And it's impossible once you start to do so many deals. You, you can't be everywhere, so you need to empower your employees to make those decisions. Exactly. And there's no way to grow a business without doing that. I, uh, I, I, I can't imagine growing your business without empowering your employees to to, and, and I think from an employee standpoint, and I've been told this, that they feel better. They feel trusted. They feel like they're part of the team, that uh, they can go out there and, and do that and make the decision knowing that uh, the owner of the company has got their back and is going to stand behind them when they make those decisions. And, uh, but it, it, it also means that the company is going to grow and it's going to thrive because of that. What happens when an employee makes a bad decision? Because we're all human and we all end up making bad decisions. Well, everybody makes a bad decision. Um, not not just employees, but owners. 
manager, you know, managers, installers, and that happens on a daily basis. You've got, again, communication is key. We've got to talk about it. Hopefully, if you make a bad decision, uh, you evaluate it, you learn from it, and uh, you learn why that was a bad decision and what what really probably should have happened and the way you should have handled it. And and I think for any successful business, that that's the way it's, it's got to be. I mean, you, you can't have an, an owner or a manager that jumps up and down and screams and holler and, and gives somebody a bad time uh, over making a bad decision or, or having an issue. But hopefully that employee or, or the owner or somebody from those decisions learns. Uh, so the next time presented, it's presented you know, they make the right decision. At what point do you go from a learning approach to a punishment approach? Because if you have somebody that chronically makes bad decisions and doesn't learn, then obviously that's a detriment to your company. Right. And that, and that happens. I mean, anytime you have employees, you have discipline issues. And unfortunately, as, as the owner of the company, those are the things that you have to deal with. And those, those can be devastating they can be devastating for a company and i'll i'll go through this i we had a uh, contract with coors distributing uh actually it was for jacobs engineering but they did all the work for coors and they put some new elevators in the coors uh the coors brewery and i had sent two installers over there to do that and we'd done some other projects with them but this was ongoing work you know, it's like, okay, again, we don't want, we don't just want this job. We want the next job. We want the next job. So uh, it was a great opportunity. We sent a couple of employees over, and their infinite wisdom, they decided that, uh, you know, they were going to take the free beer tour. So they left their tools, went, went over uh, to the free beer tour, and had uh, some sampling of Coors beer. Well, the the facilities people from Jacobs Engineering uh, went to check on them, and they weren't there. They saw their tools were there, so they started looking around and found those guys sampling some beer in the in the free beer tour. Well, needless to say, that was the last job that we did for Jacobs Engineering. So, and very difficult situation to deal with. One of them was uh, at the time was my lead installer, and very very difficult situation. So, the guys knew that what they had done was wrong, but. You know, there's still no excuse, and we lost the contract with Jacobs Engineering because of that. And I uh, did not fire either one of them, even though they probably should have been fired uh, at the time. And it was one of those decisions that we talked about. And as disappointed as I was in those guys, I said this will not happen again. And it, luckily, it did not happen again. So you you're faced with that type of of an issue all the time and like I would tell people you're the face of the company I might be the owner of the company but you're the face of the company and you're the face that the customer sees and so you represent the company so wear that on your shoulders when you go to the job so situations like that are very difficult not pleasant to go through but it's something that all companies have got to go through and you know hopefully you you can get everybody on board with your vision uh, and uh, to sell your brand and represent your company the way that you want it represented. Do you have an opinion or perspective on building a business for the money or building a business for the relationships and bringing value to other people? Well, the reason that we work is to live. 
to support our families to to do the, the things that that we need to do in life put your kids through college have them get married have kids that type of stuff and you can't do that without money so money is kind of the the focus of all that our theory was that we work to live we don't live to work so you got to have a balance between those two regardless of who you're at who you are and there's i think the accumulation of money can create greed so i i think to be successful there are a lot of people that have have uh, accumulated a lot of money that uh, you might look at and say well they're greedy but i think there are a lot of people that have accumulated a lot of money and been successful that have done that but along the road with them there are other people that have have done just as well and have been given the opportunity in any successful business if you treat your employees well you treat those people well i and have that balance between work and life and and uh, money and life i think that leads to success and i think people can see through somebody that is just greedy and just trying to take make money at at any cost and uh, i think that's a short term success but i think people can see through that do you have any advice for people who want to create their own opportunities for success or to create their own business well i think obviously you know you've got to have a vision and you've got to be willing to work for it you've got to be and you know not everything's going to be just handed to you there's going to, you're going to get knocked down along the way and sometimes you just can't give up you just get say okay well this is not working let's take a look at this and maybe we need to go about it a, a different way but keep your eye on the prize and keep working towards that goal so it's not it, it's not just a series of one thing that goes right for you it's probably more of a series of a hundred things that go wrong that you learn from and and you can get down on yourself you can get down on your employees you get down but uh, the bottom line is you you've got to stay stay focused stay positive and keep that goal in, in sight lastly do you have any advice for a young person that's maybe in high school or college or just graduated college and they don't quite know what success means to them they don't quite have a vision or a dream yet do you have any advice to those people well, and I, that, that's one of the things that is, is really difficult, especially when you look at my past. Coming out of high school, not knowing that really what I wanted to do, I had no vision of what I wanted to do, not extremely motivated. I knew I loved to fish and loved to ski, but sometimes I don't think we know exactly what we want to do. We don't have that vision. Uh, what, I, what I could say to them is live life, experience different things, work hard. And if you work hard, I think those opportunities are going to present itself. And somewhere along the, the way, there's going to be an opportunity or a vision that uh, you can see in your mind the direction that you want to take your life. And regardless of what you do, work hard at it. If you're going to go to work at Dairy Queen, make the best ice cream cone you possibly can. Work hard. Uh, be sincere about what you're doing. And if if you do that, you know, I, I think eventually you're going to find your way. You're going to find what it is that you want to do with your life. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Barrow. It's been a pleasure having you. Jess, thank you very much. 
Before I conclude the podcast, I'd like to share a couple of things I learned and notes that I will keep in mind for the future after this interview with Mr. Barrow. So first off, the things that I learned. I found the idea of key employees very interesting. I never really thought of what it means to be a business leader and have employees that count on you for their livelihood. And it makes a lot of sense to care for the people that are helping you succeed and that are with you on the journey along the way. And in the future, I will make sure to pay a lot more attention in observing how companies are run or how leaders treat those that they are leading. And also, I really think that Mr. Barrow's leadership skills were exceptional in the sense that he was able to have a vision and effectively communicate that to his employees and the people that were working for them because ultimately that allowed him to empower his employees and therefore he didn't have to be at every job site or every deal. He was able to let them make those decisions because they knew what the best interests of the company were. And then the things that I resonated with and that inspired me were Mr. Brow's idea of working hard and doing the best job. When he gave the example at the end of working at Dairy Queen and making the best ice cream cone possible, to me, that that is what I've been striving to do my whole life is no matter what position I'm in, no matter what opportunities have been given to me, I think it's important that you take full advantage of each and every opportunity and yeah you can complain if the opportunity isn't the best or if somebody else with the same credentials got a better opportunity but I don't think complaining's worth my time or my energy and I I really liked his idea that no matter what do the best job you can and I, I do think that that ultimately leads to better opportunities that's what I've found in my life at least and also the quality of the job that you do it if you do a good job you're likely to get more opportunities in the future i think that that quality assurance and that care that's that's a motivating factor for me because no matter what i think that there's always some way that i can improve even if i think that i do the best job an example of that would be on a test say i take a test and i get an a on a test but that doesn't mean I know everything about a subject. It only means that I know enough to finish the test well. And that's important that you can do the task you're given well. But there's no growth in that. There's no growth in being happy with just doing something enough. There's a lot of value in striving for more than that and refining your skills and the small details. And lastly, for moving forward in the future... I would like to have more conversations about leadership. I find that I don't talk to people about leadership very much, and I don't think the discussion about leadership takes place enough, especially amongst people in the younger generation and what it means to lead. So I'd like to ask more people about leadership and their thoughts on leadership and how they are led or how they lead others. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate your time. I know it's very valuable. And if you like the podcast idea, please 
leave a review and rate the podcast. And also, you can connect on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And those links are on my website, which is chazokada.com. That's C-H-A-Z-O-K-A-D-A dot com. And please let me know what you think. I'd really love to hear your thoughts and let me know what interviews you'd like to hear going forward. So thank you for listening. Bye-bye.